0: Chester today i'm andy brownell on news talk 1340 kroc am at 96.9 fm and uh we already got to the part of the month where we get to talk to the sheriff sheriff kevin Torgerson, with us this morning good morning sheriff good morning andy it's good to be here and you happy january happy new year and once again congratulations on re-election because you just last week officially took the oath of office for another That's four right. years
1: Yeah, that's right. And I'm reminded I put on my Facebook every time I I do that, I'm reminded about two things. One is I I do the oath of office for all of our people as we hire them, everyone, even the civilian staff. So licensed detention, you know, clerical workers, whatever you want to call them, um, all the support staff uh, are sworn in because I think those words mean so much that uh, support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Minnesota and faithfully discharge the duties of the office or the position of whatever it is to the best of my judgment and ability. And, you know, we expect that of everybody. Um, you know, our maintenance guys could be driving a squad car down 3rd Avenue southeast or some other part of town taking a squad car to get repaired. And, you know, they're driving a squad car. They They need to, you know be very aware of their surroundings and everything else that goes along with that, even though they're, they're not, you know, they don't work in that capacity. They still are part of our office and represent our office in in a very big way. So, um, yeah, I'm reminded of that, but then I'm also reminded of, of when I first took my oath, my first oath, and it's now 42 years and 11 months ago, Um, with the former Hennepin County Sheriff, Don Olmott, who had been a sheriff up there in Hennepin County for years, uh, decades. Um, Just a tremendous guy, um, so personable. And we had a a sheriff's office at the time that was like, "Ah, gosh, what were we? We were probably about four or 500 people. And he knew everybody's name. It was so amazing that he knew who I was, and I'll never forget it. He was just an amazing guy. So he passed away a few years ago, and um, so I'm always reminded of that first time. And, you know, that that young kid that I was, I wasn't even really – I was shaving because I I thought it would be the right thing to do, but I really didn't need to. (laughs) I mean, I was just a pup, and, uh, you know, I – all the things that I've been a part of and been able to participate in, you know, a lot of really good things and some really horrifying and terrible things, of course, but what a, what a career. Um, yeah. So I, I pause to look back and think about those things too. when when I do that, so yeah, special time. Thank you.
0: And then going back to your early years and thinking back, uh, to the hennepin county sheriff's office 40 years ago yeah was it i mean was it i mean you now you've been the sheriff this will be nine years this will be your 10th year yeah was it i mean from your perspective then was it anywhere near as political as it is today i mean even I no, mean, hennepin no county was i don't big. think
1: so yeah I, I i didn't get a sense of that but then i was so far removed i mean i was the lowest lowest part of the totem pole man I was working in the jail in downtown Minneapolis and, you know, this this young kid that came out of Kenyon, Minnesota on the farm and, you know, here I am in, right in the middle of a big city. There was politics. I remember one year um, Sheriff Omont had a challenger by a sergeant in our office to uh, running against him and uh, I remember that political, that thing was kind of my first time going, wow, I didn't this is this can get kind of nasty. Um, so that was the but it was all within the office, really. It, it really didn't seem to be um, like it is today um, yeah. by any means. Um, it was really um, just about the facts. There wasn't a lot of the peripheral. I mean, you didn't have social media, of course, back then. It was just right. what came out on the TV, the radio and the newspaper. That was your avenues of information. And I mean, we didn't have an email back then. If we needed to pass things on, it got passed on by word of mouth. <laughs> um, now I just sit here and I send out an email, and the whole office knows what's going on, what's what's inside my head. So yeah, uh, the, it's it's a very different world, man.
0: The world has changed for sure. Yeah. Tell you what, we'll take a quick <clears throat> break and we'll jump back in with the sheriff in a moment. Here on Rochester Today News Talk thirteen forty KROC AM and ninety six nine FM. Hi, along with Sheriff Kevin Torgerson on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Um, Sheriff, holiday season is supposed to be a time for family Mm. and joyous celebrations and your people, your investigators and deputies uh, spent much of their holidays dealing with tragedy.
1: Yeah.
0: We obviously had a homicide Mm -hmm. in our community, which is always a shocker. Right. Um, because I still like to think of us as a small town and I know we're not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when the when the news broke, I, my first thought was, well, actually, my first thought well, I went to the victim, but then mm-hmm. the, the interruption that to, the holidays being enjoyed by the people under your employee.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's always a difficult time of year. We know that emotions run high um, during the holiday season, they always do. So we, we anticipate, and I don't have numbers to back it up at this point, but we generally see a little increase in domestics, um, you know, disturbance kind of things like that. And, you know, things happen. Um, of course, then you throw in celebrations and alcohol and other things, drugs and various things, and, and some tragedies happen, unfortunately. And, you know, knock on wood, we, we, we didn't have a single traffic fatality here in Olmsted County, and uh, that was that's a victory. Um, and uh, you know, so people heeded our warnings in that. I would assume by getting safe and sober rides and things like that. But on the other end of it, um, I remember I was a patrol sergeant, and uh, we were working minimum staff on a Christmas day many years ago, and uh, ended up going to a call of a. Uh, not really elderly, but an older female who was not breathing was the call and a medical in a house up by Orinoco. And I get there, and obviously she's passed away. And turns out uh, it was a homicide. And uh, you know, right there on Christmas Day, and uh, if I remember right, the the uh, issue between uh, the the two people in the home that night was uh, which family's Christmas they were going to go to, and that was the argument. And uh, you know, I don't want to trivialize it because it was a loss of life and unfortunately a uh, um, another individual is in prison and you know, tears apart these families. So same thing in this case. Not only is, is our people out doing you know, getting pulled away on a holiday in you know, holiday weekend to handle this case, but the families that were involved on both sides, the 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 uh, Well, the now charged individual as well as the victim, you know, being just, you know, shook to the core as to, you know, what happened that day. And so our people, you know, uh, we anticipate these things. We are adapting to those things and adept in adjusting in what we do. And, you know, God bless our families. They understand that sometimes we just have to go and uh because other people need help and support and and we'll resume our festivities when we can and we're we just become very used to that and you know it's not just our profession medical professions firefighters you know all that everybody in a service position at some point in time has to do that so um as far as this went though uh you know staff came together and responded and and uh you know it really pulled it together really quickly um, did some really good investigative work real fast. And uh, and then I got to give some credit to the families. Both families involved here were very helpful in helping us get to uh, the resolution that we currently have with someone charged. And, um, you know, it's, it's terrible decisions, bad, bad decisions in uh, very likely some, um, you know, a, a time when... <laughs> if we could have just had somebody take a step back and go, wait a minute, what am I doing? But uh, that didn't happen. So now we have that situation. So um, yeah, it's always tough in those situations, but really proud of our office and the deputies, detectives, investigators that came together and, and uh, the support we got from Rochester PD support we got from the Minnesota BCA uh, just tremendous again. So um, um, everybody, Played a lot of people played a, a a lot of different roles in this thing.
0: Just in a general discussion, without being specific to this case, mm-hmm. when you have a situation like this where somebody found a deceased individual, yeah, what 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 is the process like? I suppose identification is the first thing.
1: Yeah, first thing is is trying to identify someone, and you know, hopefully. But then we have to be very careful. And that's where people sometimes I think the media, you know, we live in such an instantaneous world. We want things to happen now. And I'm sorry, folks, it doesn't work that way. So when you have something like this, an unknown individual who in this case is deceased, um, we'd love to just dive right in and try to identify um, so we can get that part of it rolling. But on the other end of it, we gotta be careful. We may be stepping into some evidence and kicking something around. In this case, a snowbank on the side of a road, um, you can't see, and it would have freshly snowed that day too. And so, uh, you know, things may have been covered up that you just don't know is there and you might be disturbing a really crucial piece of evidence. So, um, you know, our, our guys right from the, the very response, we had a very, a new deputy to our office, uh, was one of the first ones there, but he's not new in the sense of law enforcement. He's got like eight years of experience, so um, it was it was really a great job on his end. And the other officer, the deputy, that showed up, uh, the first two there did a really good job of preserving the scene, getting on information they could from the the uh, the the unfortunate caller who just simply was out walking their dog on the Christmas holiday weekend. And and lo and behold, here they here they see you know, just this horrible thing. So um, the, uh, yeah, we just have to slow down. And, and so the identification didn't happen. And I think I, um, and that's the other part for me as the sheriff and in the position that I'm in, I, you know, I'm I'm an action person. I, 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 this is why I do this. This is why I still do this. I love to be involved in things and uh, be, be a part of stuff um it's just the way it is and I think every cop would tell you that um in that case um so no I don't go to the scene as much as I would love to go and be a part of it if I go there I gotta then I insert myself into it now I gotta write reports now I gotta talk about what I did and saw and, and all that and I'm like you know what there's no place for me there I have to back off and uh so I got a text message uh, you know, the guys were at the scene. I'm 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 getting text messages throughout the night from you know, other updates from captains and chief deputies and people and I'm watching the the notes that we can follow in our notes of a call as things are developing and and uh it was uh you know the, she was found uh, what was it around four thirty in the afternoon or something like that, I think is when the original call comes out and it wasn't until probably about twelve thirty, one o'clock, I think, when um we had some identification so about 8 hours later um identification was was presumed to be about 100% i think they said right. they were about 90% sure at one point but again we can't be 100% sure because it's not our job to do that as much as we'd love to so we can move our case for for you know further ahead and faster um it's really the medical examiner's job uh to make that determination that, yep, that is the person. And of course, on that end, then you've got family who's wondering where an individual is. They didn't show up for something or they can't get a hold of them because now they're not answering their cell phone. Um, so there's all these other things starting to swirl around. And so there is some immediacy to uh, helping identify an unknown person. But on the other end of it, again we can't mess that up because we don't want to go talk to their a certain family and go oh sorry it was the uh, wrong person you know your kid is in mankato or whatever you know oh my gosh um, yeah and that's happened law enforcement agencies have have done that i mean there's, there's been national stories of of uh, families being notified you know i think there was one like on a spring break a uh, a girl was, was killed or died in some crazy accident thing and they noticed the, the wrong person, the wrong family and both girls had blonde hair and they thought it was this one and the other one wasn't around and, you know, she had been somewhere else and and uh, people thought it was her and it was the wrong girl. My gosh. Wow. You know, that, so yeah. we don't want to do that. Unimaginable. Yeah. So, you know, you want to add more tragedy to an already tragic situation. So, uh Anyway, that's that's kind of, I don't even remember what your question was. Well, but that's kind of how it worked out.
0: <laughs> it was just the the general investigative process, I yeah. suppose. After you have identification, then you're talking to family members and trying right. to piece oh, yeah, together. Absolutely,
1: and helping them to, you know, as the investigators go and make, and again, these are generalized questions. This isn't just specific oh. to this, this case by any means, but as an investigator and they think, they, they, you know, they take the picture of what they see at the scene and what they have there. So whether it's tattoos, whether it's some other kind of, you know, unique markings that they can see or uh, uh, types of clothing, Um, if they have an indication that they might have a a certain person, you know, they're going to take that, you know, big deep breath and go, we're going to go knock on a door and deliver the worst news to a family member they ever expected, certainly during the holiday season, it just seems even more difficult to do. And unfortunately I've been there and done that too. And whew, that's a, it's a tough one. Um, but I learned a long time ago in some training and uh, through experience, boy, when you're at that door, you just gotta say, you know, cause the family automatically starts jumping to a conclusion that something
0: really bad has happened. Well, yeah, law enforcement bad. shows up at my <laughs> door. I... <laughs> Yeah. Something's off here. You know, yeah.
1: And so you, you just got to get to the point. You don't want to prolong it. You yeah. just get at it. And you go, unfortunately, we th- we believe your loved one has passed away or has been ser- seriously injured. And we're wondering if you would help us identify them or just this, poor, this cl- piece of clothing. Or, you know, now we have cell phones and things like that. We, you know, deputies take pictures and do those kinds of things to, to uh, uh, show the families and, And even then, you know, that's the other part of it, too, is when a person passes away, they don't look the same. You know, I mean, I'm sure we've all been to open casket funerals and they just don't look the same because your muscles and your face Mm -hmm. and whatnot are just not, you know, what you look like when you're alive. And so, you know, sometimes you have to, unfortunately, they have to look at the picture a couple of times or do whatever to Help identify, but um it's it's a really difficult place to to be and and, like I said, and you said earlier, compounding it being the the holiday weekend the holidays, yeah, just a tough, tough time to be doing that stuff for sure.
0: The other aspect of this particular case, but it's not necessarily this particular case, but the defendant had served time in prison for a previous homicide right and was released under supervision yeah um <laughs> well, what level of supervision does a person convicted of murder get
1: yeah pretty much i mean i'm probably not the right person to ask um but i think most law enforcement people would say not enough <laughs> um in this case you know I'm not trying to be funny about it um, and, you know it's it's difficult and uh, probation parole agents correctional officers whatever you want to call them Whatever their title is, uh, that's a really, really tough job. Um, you're dealing with people who, in in some cases, uh, are 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 prolific liars. <laughs> they don't they don't know how to tell the truth, and if they do, they feel uncomfortable doing it. And, and unfortunately, there's some people like that out there in the world. I'm, and if you don't believe me, I'm sorry. i hate to burst your bubble, but uh, it's not Camelot everywhere. And Uh, there's people that just, uh, live to be deceitful and misleading and misguided. I mean, I was just reading a report here. We just filed charges on a predatory offender. So this is a person who has committed sexual crimes in their past and has been released and is expected to keep the uh, investigators and the state up to date on where they live. And, uh, you know, I'm reading through the synopsis of this report and our, our detective has done everything he can to prove that this person's, I mean, he went to an address that doesn't even exist. That was the address he had last given uh, the state as to where he was living. And it doesn't even exist. Um, And then the phone number that has as a contact is discontinued, dis disconnected. Um, So it's a really tough thing to keep these people under wraps. Um, You know, we were just dealing with a juvenile the other day that, uh, has an ankle bracelet, and he's uh, tampered with the ankle bracelet multiple times, and so it's kind of turning around. Okay, judge, what are you gonna do? He's he's not he's not playing by the rules, and uh, this young person is you know whatever he is, sixteen, seventeen years old, and oof. So, yeah, you know it's you wish you could really flip a switch and turn these people into good um law-abiding citizens once they leave prison and that but um and we hope and wish probation would have the magic pixie dust to make it happen but it's just not that way and unfortunately there's some people that just really struggle with uh you know structure in their life and providing um positive influences
0: i suppose it's the caseload must just be out of this world oh, for it's, the people it's tremendous. who are with doing yeah, this. Yeah,
1: it's tremendous. And, you know, I, it's in the hundreds, I mean, probably thousands of, of people here just locally that um, our corrections staff needs needs to keep track of. And, you know, we know they do some, you know, they can go knock on doors, they can go in, in search of home. I um, mean, there's all kinds of things that they can do. But again, it's just time. And if they're not can't find the person um there's that to be had there's there's uh families that uh you know assist in that um aid and abet as we call it in the business um a person to be hiding or running from wherever they're at because they know that if they get caught they're going to be you know in more trouble and likely go back to prison and so you know you can have that issue too so yeah it, it's a difficult thing, and uh, this is just another aspect of it that, that shows again. That, you know, some people just um, they just don't don't get it figured out. And I'm thankful. Say it. Well,
0: I'm thankful that, from my observation, they're a small percentage of our society.
1: Yeah, it's a Thankfully. really small percentage. Yeah, I mean, it's a, that that one percent and one percent of one percent maybe that we have out there that is like that and again i don't want to paint the the horrible dark picture that everything's falling apart even though sometimes people in social media want to make it sound that way um it's not that way we have a great society great uh community here southeast minnesota Olmsted county rochester and our small communities around us are fantastic supportive communities of of law enforcement and criminal justice and You know, it's just those those very small few people that just really are uh, bent on causing trouble and destruction wherever they go. And um, we'll just keep doing what we can do.
0: All right, Sheriff. We do have to take our break for news. All right. Come back. uh, I want to talk to you about a program that you're doing for children who have parents who are behind bars. Yeah. Once again, another another victim of crime that. I, yeah. you, don't often, you don't often think about let's put it that they, way. So. In
1: the military, they call that collateral damage. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what it is. And yeah, we'll talk about that.
0: Okay. Back in a moment with Sheriff Kevin Torgerson on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. I never write. It's Rochester Today. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. The sheriff is in this morning, Kevin Torgerson, starting with his, what, this is your fourth term, right, as sheriff? Third term. Third term. Third term.
1: Yeah, holy cow. (laughs) Add me another one.
0: Give me another, okay. (laughs) The first two went by fast, but oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, before the news break, you mentioned what you you term collateral damage, and that's what it is, is uh, the kids of people who have gotten themselves into trouble and found themselves being held in the Elmstead County Jail. And on your newsletter, this month's newsletter, you talk about A couple programs that the sheriff's office has embarked on to maybe mitigate the effects of that for these children.
1: Try to do what we can to lessen the trauma. Um, That's what it's all about. So there's a program or a a questionnaire. And there's a lot of people out there that might hear this, especially if you're in schools and certainly social services and other aspects of the government center or or, uh, criminal justice uh, system. Um, It's called ACEs, the uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, and it's a 10, I believe it's a 10 point questionnaire that schools and others, uh, social workers, um, give to kids and kind of trying to figure out what their ACEs score is. And an ACEs score basically is how much trauma have you had in your life from, um, things like a, a parent being incarcerated. Um, someone in your family dying by assault. or have has the child been uh, afraid of being assaulted or afraid of being assaulted by another family member? Um, it's just a a series of really. When you look at it, you go, "Oh my goodness!" And I've talked with school people. Uh, Jim Perry. I'll give Jim Perry a shout out here. Jim is the Reach teacher down in Stuartville, and Jim really was the guy that really made this to me really make a lot of sense and that is they'll have kids who are just having trouble in classes. You know, they have all the capabilities. They're smart, they're, they're decent kids and stuff, but they just have trouble coping with things. And, and so one of the things they may do through a counselor in the school is have them give given ACEs questionnaire uh, and they find out, man, these kids it's 10 points and they might have six, seven, eight points. Um, and, you know, just just really difficult and you go how can this kid they don't know where they're going to eat they don't know we're going to sleep you know you got the homeless kids and you got all that stuff going on and no wonder they can't concentrate no wonder they can't get their homework done no wonder they can't keep up in school and do whatever Um, we just got to find a way to to help alleviate some of that stress uh, that's going on in their lives so one of the aspects we have is lessen the trauma of a kid having their parent locked up Um, in in our detention facilities and uh, so that's where uh, uh, children of incarcerated parents comes in it's a a program that's uh, not quite statewide Uh, we're kind of piloting some changes and doing some stuff here we're hoping as we get into the government center uh, transition to the justice center which the county has been talking about for a while which is going to take some time I had a meeting on it this morning Uh, just kind of looking at some of the initial steps of how do we start moving that way, um, which is a huge project. But one of them is to, when when kids come in to visit their parents inside, not make it and have it be so rigid, um, have soft chairs, have um, toys for little kids, things that can distract them and keep them and hopefully make it a little more comfortable. And I know there's people out there going, no, we should teach them, you know, the whole scared straight and all that stuff, show them it's not fun and it's not a good place to be. And we're like, you know what? That's not working folks. It just doesn't work. Um, we don't, we're don't. we not scared straight as uh, it works for some, it may. Um, but, but these on the kids, other end
0: of it- These kids aren't necessarily offenders. They're just kids, right? They're I mean-
1: just kids. They're caught up in a, they didn't ask for this and uh so we're gonna we're gonna continue doing what we can now to lessen the trauma when they come and visit their parent who is in custody um and so, and so and keep those relationships going so that again, it may not be a great positive relationship, but at least allow for the relationship to maybe be improved while their their parent is is in our custody. Um, But then the other side of this thing, and then, of course, we're going to do some things as we get into the Justice Tower and some of the expansion we're going to do here with the detention center to have um, even better facility for um, parents who are in custody to have contact with their kids while they're here. Um, but that's, that's down the road.
0: It's, it's oh, quite a ways. How out. does it happen now? When how I'll it happens got-
1: now? We have a, we have two, uh, we have our lobby and you can look at it. It's uh, We have two pictures on our newsletter. And if you'd look at it online, uh, you can zoom in on the, on the screen, but, and see the the lobby. So the old lobby was real rigid, you know, government chairs. And, you know, I think there was a trophy case and it was just, you know, look at us. Here we are, you know, we're government. Now it has some soft chairs. little couch and it's got Woody (laughs) Woody and Jesse and the whole toy story group on the wall and and then our visiting room which is across the road um, in the the work release facility the annex uh, and the visiting room has uh, other things on the wall with some toys in a corner and books and things to again just kind of alleviate that stress if possible not to make it in the sense that it's fun but to make it less traumatic for them to come and and visit, even if maybe just one visit, they may not be yeah. here very long. But um, again, to help um, build relationships and not tear them down. The other part of it is uh, parenting from the inside out. Uh, I'm just in love with this program. Uh, and it takes... Um, People who so I should back up a little bit too on even before the other program when people are booked in here, one of the questions in our uh, booking process asks the person um, who's being booked in if they have children, and do they live with their children and you know contact with their children those kind of things, so we get a sense of what that is and the the numbers are in the newsletter. You have to go to the newsletter on either it's, our page, we, Facebook yeah. page, or the website. I mean-
0: You're talking hundreds of kids.
1: Hundreds of kids, four or 500 kids a year are being impacted by their parents being in custody uh, from anywhere from one day to, you know, all year. Um, And then potentially um, parents coming in multiple times in a year. Um, That's (laughs) terribly unfortunate as well. And so the parenting inside out is a class that we put on through our programs division in the detention center that basically walks a person through how to be a good parent. You know, you gotta think too, I mean, this is such a generational deal. I, I remember a long time ago, I was school liaison deputy and I was working with Byron and there was an administrator um, there who had been there for a very long time, just a, a wise, I, I just looked up to him tremendously. He was such an impressive man. And we were dealing with a student that had had uh, was having some real challenges in in his academic life and his personal life, and he had been suspended. And the teacher, who was a part time teacher at the time, he became a full time teacher later on with Byron. And uh, I shouldn't even say the school district. Some people might not like that, but um, I said it. I'm sorry. It was Byron. Um, but we've had these same experiences in all of our schools. But in this one case, this student had been suspended. So he was being um, tutored at home by a, a part-time teacher. And uh, we were in that room in the, the, the principal's office, and the principal said to me, it was me and the the teacher, the uh, tutor teacher there, and we're just really frustrated because we just didn't seem like we were getting anywhere and he looked at me uh, the the principal and said you know Kevin um I dealt with we're dealing with him I dealt with his dad and I dealt with his grandfather and so as I look at that and have that in my history, my memory just seared in my brain because I'll never forget that moment. I know exactly where I was sitting in that office when he said that, I'm like, wow, the bells just hit me. And um, I'm thinking back then to now current times with this parenting inside out class, that's part of the problem. Some of the people we have in custody who are being bad parents didn't have good parents either. They, their role modeling was horrible. Um, and so we're trying to break that chain, break that connection in any possible way that we can as a sheriff's office that is responsible for people in custody. So it's a great class. We've had uh, several graduates now. Um, I remember going, I went down for the first graduation from that class. And it's not it's not rocket science, folks. It's just not that way. It's kind of just parenting 101. You know, how to, how to build relationships. Um, one of the parts of that class, I just love this part of it. We are recording the parent reading a book. And then we, I think we email that, uh, that um, book reading, that audio to the family so that the child can hear their parent reading a book and building relationships that way so that hopefully when they get back out. And some of these people have never done that to their child ever in their life. And so we're building these relationships and not breaking them down even further is what we're trying to do. And, you know, I'm, I just I'm so excited about this program. And, you know, if we can help some of these kids, you know, turn it around a little bit and break that horrible cycle, um, we'll t- we'll do everything we can to help break that cycle.
0: And I'm blessed that, that that wasn't even on my radar growing up as a kid that, yeah. My dad or mom could end up being held. No, and me hopefully, too. Yeah. And hopefully hopefully yeah. the same could be said by my children. Yeah. And my heart just goes out to these kids because Oh yeah. I, I can't imagine what's going through their minds.
1: It's, it's no fault of theirs. You know, and like I said, with the the schools are seeing this, the schools are troubled by that. I had another school counselor back in the day when I was I think when I became sheriff, actually. And I I I bumped in as counselor. And uh, might have been the the year I was I was running so right before it and, and I bumped into this counselor and and I had worked with him when I was the school liaison guy for all the schools in the county and and the you know Lured, the Catholic schools that feed into Lourdes High School and I was just running around and just meeting some amazing people and education people in our communities and and uh, this one counselor um, came up to me as I bumped into him and said Kevin when you become sheriff do not take the list of who's incarcerated off of your website you you won't change that will you and i'm like i kind of kind of looked at him and scoffed at him a little bit like that and i'm like well why would we do that of course we're going to do that i mean we're going to always have that published that's public record people get to have that they can see that and uh it's the most active site on our county website is who's in jail who's in, in custody and uh, I know you video. guys watch it. <laughs> I know the media watches it, but I didn't know until that day that council. I said, "Well, why are you? What? Why would you be worried about that?" And he said, "Because I look to see if I have any um, kids in school whose parents got locked up last night." Uh, again, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Just like that day in the principal's office over in Byron, um, I'm like, "Wow, I did not see that one coming." because they'll have a kid in a parent in custody um, or a brother or a sibling, something like that. And now that kid's coming to school that day with that new burden on them. You think they're going to concentrate in school? You think they're going to care about that? No. Why should they? Um, So, you know, that's the kind of secondary trauma that's going on out there. And, you know, we try to do everything we can when these things happen to To support families as best we can, and turn them over to social services. We've got our our outreach team now that helps with all our mental health challenges and stuff that we got going on now. Um, so again, we're going to keep trying to do. And I don't know next year, or the year after that, we might be talking about some other new programs, Andy. I all don't right. know, but uh, we'll uh, really excited that the path we're taking right now, and and you know, hopefully we can uh, again break this cycle of of challenges that unfortunately we have in every community
0: well from my point of view as a taxpayer this is cost effective because if you can have success in breaking that cycle yeah that's a person in the future that you likely won't have to incarcerate for some right. reason yeah exactly we do have, well we have to take another break all right <laughs> actually behind schedule we'll take our break we'll be right back
1: with okay. the sheriff
0: Kevin Torgeson, it's News Talk thirteen forty KROC AM at ninety six nine FM. From the kennel to the coop, whatever the season. Rochester today, News Talk thirteen forty KROC AM at ninety six nine FM. And I cannot believe I'm already. We are already at this point in the year mm. where I'm going to ask you about the polar plunge. All right, what's happened go. to time? Oh my God! <laughs> let's go. I know. Uh, so is was... it is, ne- is it next month? Yeah, February
1: eleventh. We'll be uh, out there jumping. Hopefully, we'll have around a eight hundred a thousand people jumping again. And you know, last year we were about six ninety something. I think is what it was. Uh, we've raised over three point four million dollars here in Rochester alone for Special Olympics through all the years. This is our twenty second year, I believe, of the Polar Plunge in Rochester, and it's about the twenty fifth year, twenty sixth year for plunges across the state. So um yeah we're really excited be up at foster and beach again um right here in rochester off of uh, east river road and 37th street and um people can register um uh, right now it's live it's really easy to remember plungemn.org plungemn.org and it'll walk you through it it's really easy registering and um, you can join a team it'll ask you it'll be a little drop down join a team it'll ask you where you want to plunge you say rochester and then it just walks you through the process and if you're not on a team and you want to start a team it'll ask you if you want to start a team and and then of course you get to be the captain of that team and and uh, then you can get all your co-workers and friends to to jump in with you and and trust me all the years of this, it is so much fun doing it with, with other people. I mean, there's a lot of people do it solo. I go around the state and I'm going to, I'm going to jump in Wilmer this year. I'm going to jump in Mille Lacs and I think Stearns County because I'm on a, a little statewide tour trying to catch every plunge in the state here over the next <laughs> few years. And, uh, and now probably at some point in time, I'll probably look at doing a super plunge one more time too. So, um, you know, I just, it, it's, it's cold. It hurts, but you know, uh, when I see the athletes and all the challenges that they have throughout life, uh, whether it's uh, physical or or uh, uh, intellectual, you know, a, a few seconds or minutes of freezing as nothing, nothing ever going to be comparable to the challenges that they face. So if that's all I got to do and raise some money and people think I'm a little, a little wacko, um, <laughs> I don't care. I didn't that's, say it. Let's bring it on. Oh, I've been called all kinds of names about how crazy I am, but um, I've got 158 plunges under my belt. So by the end of this season, I'll be over 160, 165 or so once I get done plunging. I'll be jumping in Minneapolis too with uh, the executive committee and um, people up there and excited there in Minneapolis. We're not jumping in Lake, uh, I can't say the name, the old Lake Calhoun. Uh, I I can't ever say it either. Bede Macasa, something like that. Pretty close, pretty close. It's it's like that. But anyway, they're they're moving it over to Lake Nokomis and I can say that word. (laughs) I can say that name. Um, But Lake Nokomis is the site this year and I'm really excited about that because that'll be, it's a lot bigger area, a lot bigger uh, presentation area there. So it'll make the plunger village as we call it, even more cool um, up there and that's a that's a massive plunge they'll plunge, you know, like 5 6,000 people in one day. Holy it's smokes. Just insane. Oh yeah, they they'll, they'll do a million dollars in a day up there in the big one in Minneapolis.
0: So is there any deadline for people if they wanted to register?
1: Um yeah, th- that day. Okay. <laughs> we we we'd love people to do the online, but we do have people that walk up and say they want to jump in and we've had people who are here visiting because we'll we're gonna ramp up the marketing now, obviously, as we get closer to it. There'll be commercials on television, there'll be radio commercials, PSAs that'll go out um, and we'll be flooding the social media as well with all of that and <clears throat> so uh, we've had people from who are here with relatives from different parts of the country, Texas and you know down south and California, places like that who will uh, walk up and go, hey, can I can I do this? Uh, and can you take my picture? Because people back home won't believe this. No, they won't. We're like, yeah, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> but here you go. You know, it's, it's $75 minimum. Uh, there's a really cool deal right now. If you register now, Affinity Plus, so that's a financial uh, organization, you need $75 to, to plunge. They'll Put fifty dollars in your account if you register today. It's wow! Yeah, you're, you're three quarters of the way there, or whatever that is, two thirds of the way there, um, okay. to to register. And and my one tip of advice: I just met a couple of records gals with that work for us in the police department uh, the other day, and they they got on the elevator with me, and they looked at me, and I like, and uh, one of them said yep we're gonna do it and she's just kind of shaking her head at me and i'm like uh what did i do and she's like we're gonna finally do the plunge and uh i'm like well good awesome that's great and i said i'll be down we'll talk about how you can how you can prepare for it and what you can do and and uh, she's not a very tall young uh lady, and uh she was really concerned about how deep it was and I said, "All oh, you gotta remember is jump further out when you jump further out it's it gets it's a beach you you walk right up out of the water, it's a piece of cake, so don't worry um, about it, yeah, don't worry about it, not a problem <laughs> all the Italian phrases you can come up with, not a problem forget about it, right." So, okay, uh, so, yeah, we're excited. Here we go. It's uh, We can always plan that February, that weekend, the second weekend of February is, for whatever reason, Mother Nature likes to make that the coldest weekend of the year. It does. So, we usually have that as bragging rights that our plunge has generally been about the coldest. So, you know, you're going to have some, some challenges, but
0: that's, we'll cut no, a nice hole have, in the ice. You have bragging rights. We always have bragging rights.
1: Yeah, okay. we always do.
0: We so only quickly. had two
1: years where we've been above forty degrees. I think the rest of them have been, yeah, single digits and well, stuff. But I'm actually hoping for the forties. But people talk about that and they're so worried about that, Andy. And I tell the them all the time, the water's the same temperature. The water's thirty-two degrees. It's beautiful when you hit the water. It's the coming out okay. part that you got to be worried about. But that's the only temporary again because right. again, it's it's all about the athletes and. Of Special Olympics and here in Rochester we have a team of around 300 athletes um, that uh, need the, your help and support so um, if you and, there, and one final note okay <laughs> there's two types of people this time of year there's pledgers and there's plungers so if you're you can't be a plunger be a go to Plunge MN, find my name, and make a donation to my, my account. It'll go right to the Special Olympic athletes and, and it'll be awesome. So Okay.
0: Plunge Mn.org. Plunge Mn.org. Second week of February. Got it.
1: And Affinity Plus is going to give you fifty bucks right now. Away you go. It's peace of cake.
0: Okay. All right, Sheriff. We've got to run. All righty. So, uh, I look forward to doing this again in a month. Yeah. And uh We'll see how things go. How's that? Yeah, we'll
1: be talking about what happened at the plunger, what's about to happen.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. Sheriff Kevin (laughs) Torgerson on Rochester Today, this morning, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.